from John 16, 20 through 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. If we have not met, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you have chosen to worship with us tonight. Uh, Just as Steve sent you to the website to find lyrics, you can also find a sermon outline if that will help you follow along here tonight. Those were edited literally at the last minute, and so um, they will hopefully follow the outline of the sermon to a certain extent, but it'll at least keep you on track of what scripture we are in. I want to encourage you, as I often do, to go ahead and turn to the scripture that we're looking at tonight um, so that you can kind of follow along. We're going to go straight through not only the verses that Amy just read, but really uh, verses 16 through 33. Um, We're not going to belabor every verse, but we're going to kind of break it up into sections. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn there, John uh, 16, verses 16 through 33. Um, we are continuing in this kind of series that doesn't go through all the book of John, but through these few chapters. And we're focusing in on Jesus's words when he says that he is going to go to the Father and he is going to send the Spirit and he is going to die on the cross and he's going to rise from the grave. And because of all those things, that we can experience greater things in our life. We can experience even greater things than the disciples had experienced to that point. The men that walked alongside Jesus and saw everything that he did, heard all of his words, he says, you're going to experience something even greater. And there's one aspect in particular that he is going to talk to them about during this time in a section called the Farewell Discourse. Um, These chapters, these verses that we've been looking at are really Jesus's last words to his disciples before he goes off to the garden and pray, and then he's arrested and he goes on trial and goes to the cross. So these words that Jesus is speaking are some of the last words that he gives to his disciples. And just as we just sang, Specifically tonight, our section of scripture is talking about where they can experience comfort. And that's really the question that we are going to try to answer tonight as we look to Jesus's words, as we look to God's word, as we ask the spirit to intervene. We are asking the question, where does peace come from? That's the big idea. That's the big question that we're trying to answer. Where does peace come from? Before we talk about where peace comes from, I'd like to tell you where it does not come from. This is where peace does not come from. It does not come from getting the right grade. It does not come from getting your dream job. It does not come from finally having kids after years of trying. It doesn't come from finding a spouse. It doesn't come from finding the right church. It doesn't come from 
having just the right meal or drink or dessert. It does not come from a sexual experience. It does not come from, as the great movie Wayne's World says, one great concert can change the world. It doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from just the right song playing at just the right time. It doesn't come from any of these things that are experiential. And do you know how I know that this is where peace doesn't come from? Because I've tried all of them. I've tried all of them and God has greatly blessed my life with the things on this list, but they have ultimately not brought peace. Have you taken note yet of all the things that you've tried during this time of COVID to find peace? All the things that you've gone to, all the movies that you're not used to watching, but you thought you'd give it a shot or a new style of music or a new routine And they just haven't brought the peace that you are looking for. Lately, I've been waking up in the morning with a sense of dread. It's a really weird thing for me. I usually hit the ground running. I usually wake up before the alarm. My anxiety causes me to want to tackle the day and just jump right into the to-do list, jump right into homework, jump right into my quiet time in the morning with the Lord. But not so lately been waking up with this sense of of just dread, this kind of existential anxiety that's behind everything in my life right now. And it's not any one thing that's looming or hanging over my head. I'm so blessed with my job and ministry and my family and my kids. I'm so blessed. God has provided for my family in so many ways. So it's not any one thing. It's just kind of this looming dread that says, don't get out of bed. If you get out of bed, the day starts, and then here you go. Our, our anxiety, our lack of peace, either leads us to frantic activity to try to do all the things and cover up the feelings that we're having, or it leads to a paralysis, to a dread, to a depression even, that keeps us from doing the things we need to do. These all should point us to the fact that we need a source of peace that comes outside of ourselves and outside of our experiences, or peace is a farce. It's a fake hope. We need to find a peace outside of ourselves and our experiences, or else it doesn't exist. Jesus has some words for us tonight. Let's pray and jump into scripture. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak. God, thank you that because of the words that we are about to read here tonight, because of the words and work of Jesus Christ, because of your indwelling spirit, because of a glorious, loving, holy, heavenly Father, we can experience peace and not dread. We can experience peace instead of anxiety. We can experience comfort instead of fear. Jesus, we pray that you would speak in that way through your word tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that we have your very words to go to, to learn what we need to learn about who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 16, we're going to follow this discourse between Jesus and his disciples where he tells them where peace comes from. Verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while, then you will see me. 
Jesus' disciples didn't always understand the things that Jesus said and did. And we're about to see in just a minute that they don't understand what he is saying to them. Before we go any further, I, first of all, want to just point out that I find it deeply comforting that the disciples that followed Jesus around and heard his every word and saw how he healed people and saw all the miraculous things that he did, they still didn't understand Jesus. I find this very comforting because I don't always understand Jesus either. I don't always understand his words. I don't always understand what he's asking me to do. I don't always understand the situations that I I feel like he allows in my life. I find it deeply comforting that the disciples that walked with him don't always understand what he's trying to say either. More on that in just a minute. Let's unpack this phrase in a little while. When he says in a little while, you will see me no longer. The time that he is specifically referring to is the time when he will be arrested, taken to trial, hung on a cross, and lay in a tomb for three days. He says, in a little while, you will see me no longer. And then he says, and again a little while, and you will see me. Here he's talking about this time where he is arrested, tried, put to death, put in a tomb. But then he is pointing towards his resurrection. You will see me again. That's the time that he's speaking of. Let's take a big chunk here, the next three verses. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us in a little while and you will not see me? And again, in a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the father, they're confused. They don't know what he means. Verse 18. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying in a little while and you will not see me and again in a little while and you will see me? Jesus' disciples don't understand after spending all this time with him over three years. And Jesus understands that this is a concern they have and he repeats back to them, is this what you're concerned about? Is Is this what you're questioning? And he is about to give them a word of comfort. In this passage right here, we see the grace of Jesus. We see how gracious he is with his disciples who had spent every minute with him for three years and still don't understand what he is saying. To the public, Jesus has spoken in parables so that those that were not in the kingdom would not understand and those who were in the kingdom would understand. And his disciples still don't understand So now he is translating even his words to them, not just his words to the masses, but his words to them. He is having to go back and re-explain things to them. I often lose patience when I answer my kids' questions over and over and over again. What are we doing today? What are we doing today? What are we doing today? I told you what we're doing today. Jesus here is so patient and so kind. What an amazing savior that we have. I also appreciate just a little side note that I I see and I get the grace here, but do you sense a little bit of snark from Jesus? (laughs) I think I find that funny. Sometimes Jesus is just a little bit sarcastic, like, come on, guys. Really? Really? We've, We've covered this. But then he graciously walks through things with them. This week, as I was thinking about this concept and how gracious Jesus is with his disciples, it made me think of Galatians 1.16, where Paul says about the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father was pleased to reveal the son to me. What an amazing thing. The father was pleased to reveal the son to us. And Jesus 
who always does the will of the Father, is pleased to reveal himself to the disciples. Again, the disciples still didn't get what Jesus was saying, and they didn't understand what they were about to go through, and they didn't understand where their peace would come from. Verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He's talking about his crucifixion. They would weep and they would lament his crucifixion, but the world would rejoice. The world would rejoice that this Jesus, this rubble rouser, this blasphemer according to them, was finally being put to death. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's drawing out the contrast between his disciples, those who are in the kingdom, and their response to his death, and the world's response. But then he says something is going to happen, and he draws this out in verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you who have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So let's go back to our big idea, our question, where does peace come from? Jesus here is saying it comes from something that cannot be taken away. He tells them that your peace is about to be taken away momentarily. You are going to be sorrowful. You're going to be full of weeping and lament as I hang on that cross. But soon, something good will come. And he uses this analogy of childbirth, where the woman is in great pain and anguish, yet it brings about something amazing. It brings about new life, new birth, new joy. Jesus is telling them you have that to look forward to. Jesus would be taken away, but through his work on the cross, they would experience a joy that cannot be taken from them. Because now they have access to a holy God, because Jesus died on the cross for their sins, for my sins, for your sins. And Jesus is going to offer them new life, and then they're going to be given a joy when he rises from the grave, showing that he's God. That That's going to be a joy that cannot be taken away from them. And throughout this discourse that we've been going through this series, Jesus keeps talking about this time when he would go to be with the Father and that the Helper would come to live within his people. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, now the Spirit of the living God doesn't just fall on people and come and go or doesn't just reside in a temple or an ark. It resides in God's people. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we have been purified so the spirit of the living God can come and live inside of us. Turn back with me to John 14, verse 20. This is a really good summary verse for everything that Jesus has been talking about in this discourse. John 14, verse 20. In that day, We're going to talk more about that, what that means in just a minute. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He says, in that day, in that day, 
when I die, I'm put in a tomb, I rise from the dead. You're going to be given a joy that can't be taken away. And that joy is going to be knowing that Jesus is going to go be with the Father, that we are going to be in Jesus, and Jesus, through his Spirit, is going to be in us. Jesus says, there's your joy. There's the joy that can't be taken away. It's from my work on the cross. It's from a loving heavenly father giving you the spirit's presence to come and live inside of you permanently. D.A. Carson said what Jesus is speaking of here is the dawning of a new creation. This is a dawning of a new creation. A new work of God in the lives of his people. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was a, a day spoken of, a day of the Lord, or in that day, Hebrews 1-2 says, that day, those later days are now. Uh, the same author, the Apostle John, in 1 John 2-18 says, in now, these later days. The days where Jesus rose from the grave and his spirit came and dwelled permanently within his people is this day of a new creation. Eternity with Jesus starts when his spirit comes and lives inside of you and makes you new. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Jesus starts his new creation work in us and through us at our moment of salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's when they will experience a joy that no one will take from you. Verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying that he is giving them more than just an example to follow. Jesus is that. In fact, that's going to be one of our application points of how we can experience peace. We can look to Jesus as our example. But he's saying here that that's not all he's going to be. Because an example is not good enough. My wife is five foot three. I'm six foot three. Sorry, I went like that. That's a little low. My wife is five foot three. I'm glad she's not here. Uh, my wife is five foot three. I'm six foot three. I have dunked a basketball. It's been a year or two, but I have dunked a basketball. Um, if my wife and I are watching basketball, the analogy falls apart right there. My wife would not be watching basketball. But let's say for the sake of my story that my wife and I were watching basketball together. If we're watching basketball together and we see someone dunk a basketball, that example is not going to be enough for my wife to dunk a basketball. There is something inherent about her that will keep her from dunking a basketball, and that is her height. That example is not going to be enough. Jesus is saying here, I've come to be more than an example for you to follow. Thank you. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. He has given us more than an example. What would Jesus do is a great way to live our lives, but it's not enough. Because thinking about how Jesus lived actually can add to my dread sometimes. So I'm like, yeah, I really can't measure up. I really can't get it right today. That's part of my dread. That's part of my paralysis. 
I had one point today where all four of my kids were asking me to do something with them. And spoiler alert, they were not the same four things. And I had to leave in one hour. Like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Disciples have had an example of Jesus. But he says that's not enough. Now they will have his power via his death on the cross and his resurrection and the indwelling spirit coming and living inside of them. This is how the apostles, the disciples, transform from doubting, betraying, scattering when he's arrested to the book of Acts where they pass by people and the people are healed. It's because the change that took place is the spirit of the living God coming and living inside of them. Jesus is referring here to a concept that he talked about in John 14, verse 13, when he talks about how the Father is glorified. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He is saying, when the Spirit comes and lives inside of you, you can ask for the things that you need. You can ask for the things that glorify the Father, and it will be given to you. Because there is my spirit living inside of you. You don't have to be in my presence. I don't have to be in your presence. You pray and there's a spirit of the living God inside of you that hears your prayers and is doing a work. There's a connection here throughout everything that Jesus is saying. Have you noticed how many times throughout these verses, throughout these chapters, Jesus has talked about joy? And it's because when we pray that the Father would be glorified and that will is done in our life, we experience great joy. We experience great peace. We experience the fruit of the Spirit when we allow His Spirit to work in our life, when our lives, when our actions, they line up with things that glorify the Father. We receive great joy. Jesus continues to just draw out what this will be like to have his indwelling spirit. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and you have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. He wants to make plain to them what is not plain to them. They don't have the categories that they need to understand an indwelling spirit. They don't understand a crucified Messiah. They don't understand praying in Jesus' name. They don't understand yet a kingdom that is not of this world. But you know what? They got it. We can see in the book of Acts. I'm reading the book of Acts, my morning Bible reading right now. They got it. They go all over the known world to their very peril, to their very death, imprisonment, stoning, beating. They get what Jesus is saying here because his spirit comes and does a work in their lives. Verse 29, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Yes, it was all Jesus's fault. Uh, Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you come from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? 
Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He says, you think you've got it, but you don't. You think you have what you need, but you don't. You think because you understand my words, you have everything you need. Oh, how often we make that mistake. We think, I understand what it means to not be anxious, so I should not be anxious. I understand what it means to obey God or to have right theology or to walk in the Spirit. I understand intellectually, so I should be able to do it. Jesus is saying that's not enough. He's saying soon you're going to be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus was arrested, and they scattered. They scattered. They even denied that they knew him. They, they scattered. They ran away, and they hid. Him being arrested, him being tried, they knew it was going to happen. He told them it was going to happen, yet they scatter. It freaks them out. Their peace is stolen away. Understanding the words of Jesus is a start, but then we need the spirit of the living God to come inside of us and change us and give us the fruit of the spirit in our life. We can't fake peace. We can't fake joy. We can't fake love. We need the spirit to do the work in us. Verse 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Tribulation always throws me off. It's always a surprise. I never see it coming when there's trouble and tribulation. It can be big things. It can be small things. It can be curveballs like Lyme disease, chronic Lyme disease coming into my life 10 years ago. That's not something I asked for or saw coming or I anticipated happening in my life. We don't see tribulations coming. I don't see the daily tribulations. I think I should be able to tell my kids something once and then they just believe it and go and do it and never ask again. That's not how it works. We never see tribulations coming. And this throws off our peace. Because we think peace equals tranquility. And lack of hardship. And lack of tribulation. Jesus here though says, take heart. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will be scattered. I will die on the cross. You will give your life for me. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Not you're good enough. You're smart enough. You can make it happen. I have overcome the world. Not you will avoid tribulation, but through the tribulation, you will have peace because you will have my spirit and I have overcome the world. We can have joy amidst tribulation because the most trying, awful, evil thing in the world was the humans, the creation that Jesus came to save, putting him on a cross. But as they did that, they were actually accomplishing God's great purpose in all of humanity. 
So take heart. He has overcome the evil one. He has overcome our sin. He has overcome our enemy, the devil, who is attacking us and trying to keep us from experiencing his peace. Jesus says, here's how you have peace. Realize you will have tribulation and I have overcome the world. So, where can we find peace? Four, four ways that we can find peace. Four places that we can find peace. The first one is by glorifying the Father. By glorifying the Father. Jesus tells them, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. We need to know about the Father plainly. We need to know who God is. We need to know about his glory. We need to know about his holiness. We need to know about his sovereign plan. We need to know his story that we find in scripture. We need to know about the Father and orient our life around glorifying him. I didn't have plans for Lyme disease, but God did. God wanted to do a work in me and through me that he could not have done without Lyme disease. So the father was glorified. Everything that we go through, every tribulation, every circumstance, every difficulty, asking, Father, how do you want to be glorified through this situation? It changes everything. It brings about a peace. It reminds us that the father is in control of all things and that nothing happens outside of his watch. We need to hear plainly about the Father. We need to glorify God with our lives. This means knowing and doing the will of the Father. Number two, we need the example of Jesus. As we talked about here tonight, and as Jesus said, we need more than an example, but we do need the example of Jesus. In Jesus, we see that he always did the will of the Father. As we look at the way he made disciples, as we look at the way he talked about the Father, as we look at the way he talked about the kingdom, as we look at the way he talked about the lost, as we look at how he interacted with marginalized people, we see the heart of the Father. We need peace. When our world seem, seems like it's upside down and we can't understand what's going on, we go to Jesus. He has something to say about it. I just keep finding myself going back to Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount, his prayer in John 17. I just keep going back to the words of Jesus and I find a peace because he's telling me about the kingdom. He's telling me about the upside down kingdom. He's telling me what the world is really like. Outside of my feelings, outside of my tribulations, outside of my circumstances, I can go to Jesus and his words and his life. And I can remember what he's done for me. I can remember that when it's so hard to lay down my life, I can look at his life and see that he laid down his life first. I can look at John 13 and I can see him say, I am going to serve you now as I have done for you. Go and do likewise. Go and serve the way that I have served you. We need the example of Jesus to experience peace. Number three, we need the indwelling spirit. 
we just need the spirit of the living God to do a work in us that we cannot do in ourselves. He brings the peace when there is no peace. What an amazing thing in life that we can have everything that we need and still not have peace. And what an amazing thing that we can have everything taken from us and we can still experience peace. Remember what Jesus says about grieving and lament here? He says, the world will rejoice when I'm put on the cross and you will lament, but just wait. Your joy is coming because I'm going to rise again. And my spirit is going to come and live in you. We need to remember that the spirit of the living God lives in us. We need to remember where our power comes from. We need to remember where our new life comes from. We need to remember where the power to do anything good is going to come from, and it's from the spirit of the living God. Where do we find peace? One last thing. With all these things in mind, the last thing that we need to do is give up. We need to give up. We need to cease from our striving. We need to cease from our trying to earn our own righteousness. We need to cease from trying to make disciples in our own strength. We need to cease from looking to the things of this world to find peace and tranquility. We need to give up trying to arrive as a Christian and think all the right thoughts and hope that leads to peace. We need to give up. That's what happened to the disciples. The disciples were scattered the first time in fear. But the disciples were scattered a second time. The disciples were also scattered after the Spirit comes at Pentecost. Jesus goes to be with the Father. The Spirit falls, and the disciples scatter, and they go out to the very ends of the known world to start churches, to share the gospel, to proclaim the good news to the ends of the world earth just like their savior told them to do and they scattered and they took the gospel to the whole known world in a incredibly short amount of time as the spirit was working in them as they sacrificed their life as they laid down their very lives for the sake of the gospel the gospel advanced and you and I are sitting here some 2,000 years later because they gave up because they gave up their rights they gave up their life they gave up their sense of tranquility and peace and they laid down their lives for their savior because he went first he laid down his life so they knew now we lay down our lives that's the only way to peace that's why Paul that's why Peter, that's why John were able to lay down their lives. Why they were able to say, I consider it joy to follow Christ, to lay down my life. I consider everything else rubbish. These are some of the words that they said about their lives. Paul said he considered everything but Christ rubbish, dung, filth. Something that was worth nothing compared to following Christ. Where does peace come from? Giving up our notions of peace and resting in the peace that he provides. The glory of the Father, the example and work of Jesus, 
and the indwelling spirit. I want to end with this reading that um, Steve wrote up, actually. Um, we were going to do the service a little bit differently, but with the projectors, it kind of changed our order of service here. But uh, this was a reading that Steve put together that he had asked me to consider reading at the end of the sermon and before we sang the song, My One Comfort. And I want to close this portion of the night with this. When we feel owned by our sin, he is our righteousness and forgiveness. Christ is our one comfort. When we feel lost, he is our guide. Christ is our one comfort. When we are alone, he promises to be with us. Christ is our one comfort. When the world seems out of control, he continues to hold all things together. Christ is our one comfort. When we continue to struggle with sin, he promises to surely complete his good work in us. Christ is our one comfort. In the face of death, he is the hope and promise of everlasting life. Christ is our one comfort. When we feel like we don't matter in the great scheme of things, he reminds us that he has left the 99 sheep to find us. Christ is our one comfort. When life feels hopeless, he is the promise that one day he will gather all believers to himself and wipe every tear from every eye. Christ is our one comfort. Amen? Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking tonight. Thank you for the peace that you offer. I pray that we would give up our notions of peace and tranquility and we would find peace in you. God, we pray that we would remember the words of Jesus. Any of you who are weary and heavy laden, come and take my yoke upon you and find rest for your weary souls. God, help us to lay down the yoke of sin, lay down the yoke of striving, and to trust in what you and you alone can do in our lives. God, we want to experience your peace so that we can glorify the Father so that we can scatter all over to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the good news of a great Savior that gives peace that is outside of our circumstances. What good news we have to share. Thank you that we can do this together as brothers and sisters in Christ for your glory and for our joy. Amen.